Hey, what's going on? You're listening to another episode of the Women for Greatness podcast. I'm your host, Serena Hess, and in this episode, we're going to talk about something you haven't probably talked about lately. We're going to talk about sex trafficking. And yes, before you hang up or tune out, sex trafficking exists. It exists in Bakersfield. It's not just in Tijuana, Mexico, or India. It is here. So thank you for hanging out with me today. Thank you for letting me use this platform as a space to educate and share and just teach about the truth because this is going on. And today I have an amazing and incredible guest. His name is Doug Bennett. Doug is the founder and creator of Magdalene Hope, which is an organization that rescues women out of sex trafficking. This episode has a lot of twists and turns, and there's a lot of really helpful and insightful information. Doug tells us the truth about sex trafficking, how women get involved. He teaches us different things about it, so different terms like guerrilla trafficking, family trafficking, lover boy trafficking, why these women get in these situations. He shares an amazing story about how he rescued a woman out of a terrible situation and in the end he shares different ways that you can get involved if you feel called so i hope you tune in kick back enjoy listening to this episode as doug shares so much about this world and how we can help and help us understand as always thank you for listening to this podcast i appreciate you so much and let's jump into this interview all right it's here it is alive this is the confidence course the confidence course is a six-week online e-course and what it does it helps the woman who has this big audacious goal have the ability and the confidence to pursue this thing do you have something on your heart is there something that you want to pursue are fears or the opinions of others holding you back if so then this course is for you. This course will teach you strategies, mindset hacks, everything that you need to finally have the confidence to say, this is who I am, this is what I'm good at, this is the value I add to this world, and I'm going to do it. If you're ready to finally shake off what everyone thinks about you, if you're ready to finally follow through on your word and stop quitting on yourself, this course is for you. Go ahead and check the link in my bio on Instagram and click about the confidence course. Ooh, and one last thing before I completely forget, the giveaway is happening very soon, next week actually. Episode 50 for the Women for Greatness podcast, we're hosting an incredible giveaway. I've been sending out these emails to all my old greatness girls, and they're going to be giving incredible things in this giveaway. You could be the lucky winner. And actually, there's going to be a handful of winners getting special access to the confidence course for free. So yeah, I would really keep in touch with what's going on in that giveaway for episode 50. Okay, okay, okay. I'll be quiet now. Let's get into this interview. So today with me, I have Doug Bennett, the founder of Magdalene Hope. Doug, can you give me like an intro roundabout recap of who you are and what you're about right now? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Father, uh, husband, women's rights activist, and a voice for the voiceless. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess that would be it. I've I have two daughters, 24 and 25 years old, and I got into fighting human trafficking 10 years ago because I figured if someone was selling my kid, then I'd want, some, I'd want somebody to go do something about it. And then I was like, you know what? I'll go do something about it. I guess that's me. Yeah. So, Thanks for having me, by the way. Of course. I'm, I'm honored to be here. <laughs> I know Ben's been here. And so to be the second man on the show, I'm very, very honored, very humbled. Yeah, so as we were talking about before, hello listeners. Yeah, hi guys. <laughs> hello. Doug is the second male guest on the podcast, and I thought it was important to have him specifically because there are topics and issues and things that can be brought to the table and we need to talk about more. And Doug was a great overall representation of talking about this issue of sex trafficking and helping women and rescuing women. So that's why I specifically wanted him on the show. With that being said, can you talk about Magdalene Hope with me and like what it is and its creation story, basically? Absolutely. So, well, I'm a Christian and uh, the tenets of my faith are to share my faith with others. I have... Uh, the gift of evangelism. So an evangelist is someone who will 
tell others about Jesus. I guess that's the best way to put it. The population that the church was driving past were the women on Union Avenue, which is our red light district here in Bakersfield. And not only was the church driving past them, but they would also talk bad about them. And you know, I just thought, you know, that's somebody's sister, somebody's mother. You know, somebody loves that person. I got called out of a, a church in 2008 by a traveling evangelist prophet. Pulled me out of the audience and prophesied over me that I'd be a pastor to prostitutes, bikers, and drug dealers. Laid me out under the power of the Holy Spirit. I was magnetized to the floor and he had people get up out of their seat and throw money at my feet and said, let's sow into this man's ministry. I wasn't a pastor. I had no desire to talk to prostitutes or be a pastor to bikers or drug dealers. I did come out of a drug style, a lifestyle of drugs, I should say about 22 years of my life. But yeah, so the guy calls me out and prophesies over me. So what were you experiencing when you were in that moment where God's like, oh, you know what? Um, I think I want you to minister to drug addicts and bikers and prostitutes. What were your like initial thoughts when that? I quit my job as an electrician in the oil fields about a month prior and God said, quit your job, go full time with me and I'll supply all your needs. Yeah, that night was so crazy. I, I'd met that guy, his name's Chris Overstreet, and he's up in Portland now. I'd met him the night before, he prayed for me, and, and you know, I left, he invited me back the next night. I go back the next night there at the garden at seven o'clock service, I walk in, the worship music's going, and before I left my house, I prayed, and, and I asked God that if that falling down thing, you know, as they pray for people and they fall down, and I had a feeling that stuff was true, but I didn't know for sure. And so I just prayed and said, God, if that's true, I'd like to experience that. And I uh, went down there, walked in the garden. I, I invited some friends there from my church. We were going to Valley Bible Fellowship at the time. And they didn't have a lot of speaking in tongues or people falling on the ground. Anyways, this guy over street, he comes out and he's laughing. And he's drunk in the Holy Spirit. A couple of people like got up and laughed because he, he, he could barely get to the stairs of the altar at the church. And he just lay there laughing. And it was like 10 minutes. It was really weird. I'd never seen a spirit of laughter before. Now I have. I stayed. And I asked God if he had a word for me. And I pulled out a Bible I had in my back pocket. And I pulled out my Bible. And I landed my finger down. And I said, he who sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. But he who sows bountifully also reaps bountifully. And I thought, I want to reap bountifully. And that day I got that check for $250. I did an electrical job. I was an electrician for a number of years. God said, quit your job, I'll provide for you. He gave me a side job that I did the day before. I got paid that day 250 bucks. I cashed the check, and I was going to throw $25 in the offering when it came around. But I got that verse, he who sows sparingly reads sparingly, he who sows pound for you. So I said, well, God, it's your money. How much do you want? And I just heard 50 So when the bucket came around, I threw the 50 bucks in. Didn't think twice about it. It's, it's God's money, right? If everything I have is his, then the bills are his too. So he's to provide the uh, the income, and he's also to provide everything. So then he started he started calling people forward and giving words of knowledge and praying for people, and they started getting healed. All the pain was leaving their body. People were falling on the ground, and I was seeing that. He wasn't pushing them. They were just dropping down. And I thought, okay, well, clearly that's real. I see it happening. And about 40 minutes in to him speaking and giving words of knowledge, he said, I met a guy here last night, and I think I saw him earlier. He looked around the audience and locked eyes with me, and he goes, you, God has a word for you. Get up here. And I, like, literally looked at him, bugged my eyes out, and I pointed at myself. I go, me? And he goes, yeah, you. And I, like, looked around. I go, okay. So I go up there. He said, I met, I met this man last night, and after you left, I went back to my hotel room. I couldn't stop praying for you. He said, and God started showing me some things about you. He said, if you stay low, you stay humble, and you stay hope, open, God's going to use you in a mighty way. He said, God showed me you'd be the next David Wilkerson. And I had no idea who that was, but apparently that's the guy that, that founded Teen Challenge. Mm -hmm. He said, you're going to be the next David Wilkerson, and you're going to be a pastor to uh, bikers, drug dealers, and prostitutes. And after today, you'll never be the same. He held his hand out about a foot from me, and it was as if somebody was pushing me in the chest. And I had to take a step back, and I was like, whoa. 
And I saw that happening right with my eyes, and I was thinking, okay, don't get pushed down. That's the only thing I think of. Don't get pushed down. I want to know if this is real. So he said, he said again, after today, it'll never be the same. And I had to take another step back as if he was pushing on me with his hand, which he wasn't. He said about seven times and backed me up about seven steps uh, in front of the whole audience. There's 150 people there. He said, stop. My whole body stopped. And he turned around and he walked the other direction. He threw his hand behind him. And he said, after today, and I'll be the same. My whole body lifted off the ground. Like, it was just like somebody, like, pushed me with two hands in my chest where I was falling over. These guys caught me and laid me on the ground. And I laid there magnetized to the floor looking up at the at the at the rafters of the garden, the old YMCA building. And I'm laying there and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've never felt like anything like this in my life. And all I could do was smile and grin from ear to ear because of this presence that was on me. It was like just such an incredible feeling. It's so hard to describe. Laying there smiling, I'm grinning ear to ear, thinking, oh my gosh, what is this? I'm on the ground, I did not get pushed over. And it was so funny of God to have the guy turn his back on me and walk the other direction and then say it and throw his hand back and then my whole body gets knocked over. So I'm laying there and he said, I feel like we're supposed to sow in this men's ministry. And if you feel led, get up out of your seat and throw money at this man's feet. And I just started to weep as checks and money hit my feet for like a five minutes. After about five minutes, I was able to set up and look and there's money and checks everywhere, all by my feet. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he goes, pick up your money and take your seat. So I grabbed all the money, and I stuffed it in my pockets, and I went back to my friends from Valley Bible Fellowship, and they were all looking at me like, what was that? And I was looking at him like, I don't know. But I couldn't hear what the guy was saying, because he, he was like, the peanuts, you know, school teacher, wah, 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 wah. I couldn't, all I could think of was how much money's in my pocket. Honestly. Yeah. So I threw 50 bucks in, not thinking about it. The guy pulls me out of the audience, lays me out on the floor. People throw money. I count the money. It was $729. Wow. I was able to pay rent, have money to eat, have gas, and then I, I tithed $80 off of that, that 79 But that day changed me for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. and I had no idea what it was. I was just in the right place at the right time with the right heart, and God changed my life. Ten months later, I get invited to go down to Pasadena uh, to a conference, and I met a, a lady named Heidi Baker there, powerhouse woman, mid-50s out of Costa Mesa, just a remarkable woman. She had taught the, the evening service and said, hey, if you want to know what God has for you, come down, I want to pray for you. I went on Union Avenue about three weeks prior, and so I asked God what i really like to reach these women. What would you like me to do? And I felt like he said, pay them. And I was like, what? <laughs> pay the prostitutes? Okay, why? And I felt like he said, some of them have children at home. If they don't make money, then the kids don't eat. And if she has a pimp, uh, you're going to keep the pimp at bay because you're not taking time with this girl. So if you pay her, you keep him at bay. You'll be able to feed children if they have any. And you'd be able to tell them about me and give you an open-door platform. And, and I had no desire to do that. I told God, you have the wrong person. You need a female. You need a black female out here on Union Avenue, not some white guy, is what I told God. And I meet Heidi Baker, and she gives us a, a call for people to come forward. She wants to give them a word of knowledge and prophesy over them as to what the plans are that God has for them. So I went down. She was praying for people, and... We're getting touched by the Holy Spirit, and she's giving words of knowledge. Women are crying. They're falling on the ground. She gets to be, and she said, God already told you what to do. Go do it. <laughs> and I just looked at her like, what? And she skipped over me, and she refused to pray for me. And I had to climb over people, get off the stage, and go back to my seat. And my friend said, she prayed for you. I said, no. She told me that God already told me what to do. Go do it. So the next morning, she teaches. she's teaching again. She gives the same call at the end of her teaching and says, you want to know what God has for you, I'd love to pray for you. Come forward. I go down there, and uh, she's about to pray for me, and she stops, and she looks at me, and she goes, why do you keep coming down here? Stop being disobedient. Go do what God calls you to do. And it was then I, I had a vision from the Lord, and, and I felt like he said, this is what I have for you. So 10 days later, we launched Magdalene Hope, 
I went out to Union Avenue and talked to women and give them money. It's been 10 years. I'm so glad I said yes. Uh, I know that that's why I'm on this earth, is to eradicate human trafficking in my lifetime, or at least I'll do everything I can to do that. Yeah, that's how Magdalene Home started. Crazy. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's crazy. So I saw on Facebook recently that you shared an old post that was two years old, and you were talking about the rescue that you did with your friend Al Jones. Yes. And what you both did for that woman. Can you just share that story here on the podcast and reiterate that experience? Just because I would like people to know like some of the work that you do and like what it entails. I had the honor and privilege of rescuing 116 women out of sex trafficking over the last 10 years. 114 women here in Bakersfield in Kern County. All local cases, women being sold against their will. We went in, got them out. So we extract. Uh, one woman asked me, how do I know to trust you? And I said, have you seen that movie Taken? And she said, yes. I said, well, I'm kind of like that guy, except I do it with prayer, mm-hmm. and not guns. That day was a, was a hot summer day. I believe it was uh, late June, early July. Might have been three years ago, maybe two. This lady had called and said that she was uh, hiding from her boyfriend who would sell her. And she was a, a mother of a one-year-old daughter. And she was in oil dough. And I could tell that she was high on methamphetamine. So we arranged a, a time to go and get her. She said, well, I have another son. I want to say goodbye to him. And so she had, she said, I'll, I'll call you back later. So I didn't have a baby seat to transport a one-year-old. So I went to Babies R Us and bought a seat for a one-year-old. And she called me back and she said, okay, I'm ready. But I left where I was at. Went so I wouldn't say goodbye to my son because I knew I was going to leave town with you. A friend of my pimps saw me and let him know that he saw me in this block. So now I'm, I'm hiding in a garage at an apartment complex, and it's in an alley. It's detached from the apartment. I'm here with my daughter, the one-year-old, and my man is cat-calling my name, driving around the neighborhood looking for me, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm afraid to death. She goes, I can't go outside, but if you knock on the garage door in the alley in Oildale, I'll, I'll, I'll come out. She says, the third garage down. So I get out, we got the baby seat, we got the car, we drive down the alley. Well, we had to drive in the front to find the address and then drove around back. Found the third garage door down, I knock on the garage door. She said the door's locked on the inside and the outside and I can't get out through here. I'll meet you down at the fence. So I walk down to the, where the first garage is at. There's a fence there. It's about nine feet high. And there's a chain link fence with a deadbolt on the chain link fence. Mm-hmm. And there's Bob wire going around the top. And she walks around with her daughter. Her daughter's wearing a diaper. Her daughter had like sandy blonde hair. It was a mess. She had like food kind of smudged on her face. And she had the biggest blue eyes of any baby I've ever seen. And she wasn't making a noise. And she's holding on her hip as she walks up. And she tries the fence. I try the, I try the, the knob and it's locked. I go, oh my gosh, it's locked. She goes, that's okay, here. And she holds her baby up and sticks the baby through the barbed wire about, gosh, the top of that must have been about six and a half feet. She hands me the daughter, and I, I grab the daughter, and I pull her through the barbed wire, try not to touch the barbed wire. There's a barbed wire that ran sideways, you know, like three strips of barbed wire. She gives me the baby, and, and I take the baby, and I hold her on my hip, and I look at her, and the baby, this little girl, is just looking at me with these big blue eyes. And my heart just broke for that little girl. And for this uh, mother who was high on drugs, usually these women that are sold or kept high uh, if if your product, the woman you're selling is asleep, then she can't make you money. So oftentimes, the women we've rescued have had methamphetamine and cocaine and heroin injected into their arms against their will to keep them awake. 
So she hands you this baby. I'm looking at this baby with these big blue eyes, and I'm mesmerized by her. And uh, maybe for like two seconds, I'm looking in her eyes, and then I think, oh, crap. If dude comes around the corner in the alley and I'm holding the kid, we're going to have a problem. So right about then, Pastor Al, he's my pastor, great guy, amazing guy, Al Jones. The guy rolls with me on the street, never met a pastor like him. He said, hey, give me the kid. So I walk down, three doors down, give him the kid. I come back, and by the time I'm halfway back, uh, she's wedged herself through the barbed wire and gotten out. Uh, wedged herself through, fell down, picked her up, got her to the car, got her in the back seat. I was holding the kid. I jump in the driver's seat. We race down the alley, and a car whips around the alley, and as we're coming in, I'm thinking, oh, man, this is him, and the car makes a a slight turn and pulls into a parking space and we get out of the alley and, and um, well, I think we probably rode, drove maybe three or four miles, saw that no one was following us and we were able to stop and get the kid in the back seat, talk to her. We took her up north. I, I can't tell you the exact city because I don't want to give away that identity, but got her to safety, got the kid taken care of and I never heard from her again. So hopefully, you know, I'm just believing that they both got out and they're both good. When we take someone somewhere, you can't find them unless they tell somebody where they're at. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was an incredible rescue. Something I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like being able to liberate a woman sister of freedom to get her away from her oppressor and the person who's been selling her to give her a, a hope and a release on a, on a new life take her away from bad guys i'm telling you man that's that's like the stuff yeah so that's a beautiful story yeah yeah i hope and pray they're both well mm -hmm. i think one of the biggest misconceptions and things that a lot of people think is oh sex trafficking doesn't happen here it happens over in India or it happens in Mexico, but it happens in Bakersfield and it happens here. And can you just shine a little bit of light on it happening in a conservative, quote, safe place like Bakersfield? Can you share that? Good people don't know what's happening in this city. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people, we live in nice neighborhoods, you know, maybe the Upper East Side, uh, the North... West, uh, Seven Oaks. It's not like, you know, you're just going to drive down Union Avenue and have a look and see what's going on and study things out there. Mm -hmm. So good people don't realize what's happening here. Well, we heard about human trafficking in 2000. That's when the term was coined. But we always knew about pimping and, and pandering and pimping and hoeing. Those are terms that have been around, you know, from the 50s and 60s. You start hearing about kids being sold in Asia, and so a lot of preconceived notions that it happens over there. The United States is actually in the top three countries for human trafficking. Uh, they were 10 years ago. They've made a few strides and a few laws have been changed, and that's been very good. I'd say 99 out of 100 women that we minister to, talk to, and help, 99 out of 100 are born here in the United States. Most of them are from California, so they might be from Fresno from Long Beach, from Arizona, from uh, Los Angeles and the Bay Area. They're domestic cases. And you're not gonna you're not gonna take someone that you meet in Fresno where she was born and raised and sell her in Fresno. You're gonna transport her at night to another city that she's not familiar with and put her out in the red light district. Either that or you're gonna keep her in a hotel room, or you're gonna sell her online. So we reach out street ministry out on Union Avenue and the surrounding blocks, but then also online uh, where the women are sold, and we reach them. We look for things that tip us off that there's human trafficking and not prostitution. Mm -hmm. Human trafficking would be like a photo-assisted ad and like bruising and scars on the woman, and then the verbiage that she uses to place her ad. Hey, just in town for a couple of days, like to get together, have some fun, give me a call or text me, that tells us, all right, if someone else is taking your picture, she has bruises or scars on her, and, and the verbiage of her ad tells me that she's working with somebody and somebody's placing her for sale online. The difference between a prostitute and a human trafficking victim is a prostitute chooses to sell her body for sex and make money. A human trafficking victim is someone 
who is sold for sex through force, fraud, or coercion, and someone else keeps all the money. She doesn't keep any money. In fact, she's, she lives, and I say she because it's mostly women in sex trafficking. She's told what to wear, how to dress, what color her nails are going to be, her makeup. She's told when she can eat, what she can eat, how much she can eat, and when she can sleep. So it's an ongoing prison. She's told everything to do, and she's kept close to the trafficker. And there's three different kinds of trafficking, covering a, a broad range here. But there's a guerrilla trafficking, where someone is uh, trafficked through force and through fear. So those are generally the, the women are, are trafficked. They keep working for the pimp or the trafficker out of fear of their loved ones being harmed, injured, or sold. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to go get your sister. Or I'll break grandma's legs. I know what time grandma gets home, and I sure would hate to have something happen to grandma. So she stays working for him. That's guerrilla trafficking. There's also lover boy trafficking, where a guy befriends a girl, makes her his girlfriend, and then eventually turns her out and has her start working for him to, or working for the couple to make some money to bring in some ends meat to help offset cost of drugs and food and everything else. And then lastly, there's family trafficking, where a family member will sell their nephew or their niece or their grandchild. We're seeing a lot of that in the last few years, the family profiting off of the kid. But as far as human trafficking goes and people from other countries, yes, there's a lot in Cambodia and Thailand, the Asian region. But here in the United States, it's a lot of domestic cases where people are born around Bakersfield and they're, tra they're transported down the 99 freeway and the I-5 corridor and taken from city to city for a few days at a time. And then they, they rotate them out and they take them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So they're always traveling with women who have been born here. Mm -hmm. Our studies show that on Union Avenue... Out of 10 women who are out there working as a prostitute, eight, eight women are not out there by choice. Someone is profiting off of them through forced fraud or coercion. So eight out of 10 women are not out there breaking the law and selling themselves as a prostitute. They're actually victims being held against their will, living in an ongoing prison, and therefore being raped every time they have sex with someone because they're not out there looking to have sex with those people. So it's rape. I just think it's important to talk about because a lot of people, oh, it's not happening, oh, it's not going on here. Human trafficking has increased. Prostitution has increased. Human trafficking is the second fastest growing crime in the world. Within a few years, it will overtake drug trafficking. A lot of drug dealers are stopping selling drugs and they're selling people because if you have a pound of drugs and you sell a pound of drugs, you get that money that you sold the drugs for, but then you have to go buy more drugs. A human being, you can sell over and over and over again, up to 40 times a day. The average transaction lasts 15 minutes. If a girl makes $40 a transaction, 40 times a day, working six days a week, if a trafficker has three of those women who work that much, over the course of a year, that, that trafficker will take in three quarters of a million dollars, $750,000 tax-free. If you get pulled over and you have three women with you by the cops for speeding, they can bring a drug dog out, they'll write you a ticket for speeding and off you go. Because the girls aren't gonna say anything out of fear. But if you have drugs on you, they find the drugs, you're gonna go do time. Getting caught with drugs, you get way more time in prison and being caught selling people. Because usually they, they plead that trafficking charge down. So mm -hmm. you, have a, you have a lot of drug dealers starting to sell people instead. Yeah. Thank you for being so educational too in this because I know a lot of people don't know or don't know the different terms. So just backpedaling a little bit and being specific and clear, that's really helpful. It's very important. Yeah. Public awareness and, and letting people know exactly what's going on. Yeah. I think it's so important in the fight against human trafficking. Yeah. 
So along with that idea, can you give us some examples or like things to look for or notice in people? Just if someone else maybe around us is potentially in a harmful situation like that, because a lot there's we don't I don't know. I don't know what to look for. I don't know. Oh, are you being trafficked? Oh, are you a victim? Oh, are you being kept against your will? So do you have any like signals or identifiers just to be aware of or to know? Yeah, there's all kinds of things, and, and as we evolve in our knowledge of this, they, traffickers evolve in trying to stay one step ahead. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, you've seen the things where, like, there'll be a note on your on your windshield at night, you know, in a parking lot, maybe you're leaving the gym or, or from Target or somewhere, mm-hmm. and there'll be a, a note on, on the windshield. It's better just to get in your car, turn your car on, and drive away to your destination and then look at the note, whatever note is on your car, whatever flyers on your car. Uh, in, the, in just a, a few seconds, if you stop to get out, you notice the note, you get out to read it, they can abduct you. Mm-hmm. So not saying it's going to happen, but that's, that's happened on several occasions. So you want to be mindful of that. You want to be mindful of who's talking to you at night in the parking lot. I want to be mindful of just being in the store. If you feel like somebody's following you, look out for another person because usually they have someone that works with them, so there'll be two people together. Talking with traffickers, they've had said a lot of traffickers will go to the mall and find the girls who are ditching school during school hours. So junior high and high school girls, I know that you have some of your listeners. So if you're at the mall during school hours and you're ditching class, a lot of guys will walk up to them, tell them how beautiful they are. They said if a girl looked away or looked down and said, no, I'm not, or I don't, I don't see that. They said they knew that they could traffic them instantly mm-hmm. because of low self-esteem. They said the ones that looked them in the eye and said, thank you very much, and kept walking, they would just go to the next girl because he knew he couldn't sell her. Mm-hmm. And this has been several traffickers who have said this. So that's why a couple of years ago we launched the Look Up and Live Free campaign. Mm-hmm. Look up, look them right in the eyes, tell them thank you very much, and keep walking. And, uh, and generally, they will not bother you. Other things to watch for for human trafficking is if the guy with the girl does all the talking. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're like checking out like at a store and pay the bill. Maybe they'll ask her a question. Oh, hey, I like your shirt. And he'll say, yeah, you know, I got that for her. Uh, she really likes it, too. She doesn't say much. That can be a sign of human trafficking. Also, uh, Women who don't have their ID on them, mm. and, and the guy holds the ID of the person, that's another sign. And then also, like, if you were to go to, like, a massage parlor, get a massage, even foot massage, anything like that, if the girl's there, and this is generally in Asian massage parlors, if you could smell rice cooking, maybe there's several women there with, like, closed doors, things of that nature, Chances are they could be living there or at least uh, housing them there. So those are things that we try to look for as far as that goes. Just be real mindful of social media as well. So social media is big. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the person in a public setting, like you've met face-to-face, then you don't know the person. You have no idea who's on the other end of that friend request or that, you know, the Instagram uh, request. You have no idea, you know, and these guys are smart, so some of them will uh, friend request or, or follow uh, some of your friends, and then uh, they'll do that to get be able to get to you. Okay, yeah, those are all, it's really helpful because it's hard to know right off the bat, and if you've been working in this field, niche, category, whatever, for so long, you start to notice commonalities. I just have a handful, like maybe three more questions. I would say if you see something, also say something. Yeah. I don't know if you need to say it to him, but you can definitely phone, you can phone the the human trafficking hotline, Mm -hmm. or you can text the human trafficking hotline, and uh, if you text the words, be free, Mm -hmm. and then you send in a text of help or info, they'll text you back immediately. And then you could have a texting conversation. Hey, this girl looks like she's being sold or she's being kept over here. I'm in Bakersfield, California, at the corner of California and Stockdale Highway. I'm at the Chick-fil-A. She doesn't look good. And this guy's telling her what to do, boss her around. She seems to be getting in cars, and then she leaves for 15 minutes and then comes back. Mm-hmm. And just things like that. 
You can also make that phone call too, and the phone number is pretty easy to remember. It's area code 888, and then I, I put four numbers together. So I go 888-3737-888. So 888-3737-888. You could call, but you can also call Magdalene Hope too, and that phone number is really easy to remember as well. So that would be our area code is 661, and then it's 808-HOPE, 808-HOPE. And if you look at 808, it looks like it says Bob. So it says Bob Hope. Here's the phone number for us, 661-BOB-HOPE. It's the easiest way to remember it. So. Yeah. And if you call, if you text that phone number, uh, we'll get back to you immediately. Or you can send us a message uh, through uh, Instagram or Facebook, and, and we can answer you there. And if you have a concern or you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. Another question I have is, the validity of these Facebook posts that I've seen circulating where it's like, I was in Target and this guy was following me and it really creeped me out and blah, 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 blah. Or I was in Michael's and this person was, is, is this like, is this real? Are these real stories? Does that actually happen? I guess is my question. Should we actually, I mean, yes, of course, always be on guard, but is that a threat? I'd say 90% yes. So you see them, but I get them sent to me. I have a, a bunch of friends on Facebook, and so people always alert me to these things, and, and they'll tell me, "Hey, this is like my dear friend, and this actually happened to her." Mm-hmm. I get that a lot. Hey, this is my friend, uh, a friend of a friend, and I know this is true. This is what happened, and I'll see them going circulating around, mm-hmm. and I'll read them like you know the parking lot or you know in Target or cops followed this person, but you know so I'll read those like in my timeline, and then. You know, messages start coming in of people who actually know the people, and they were actually real stories. There was one uh, that the police said was bogus, and it turned out to be a false story. And, and Magdalene Hope, we had, we had posted it on our uh, timeline uh, for our page, and so then we retracted it and said, false alarm. But like one girl was sold, they were coming and going out of the house. It was only about a mile away from where I live, one case, so... These are happening, you know. There's trap houses that a lot of people don't know about. So they'll get a girl, put her in there, and then they'll call their buddies to come over and have sex with her, and they pay the guys. They're kept against their will. I was working a case last week of a, two months ago, a girl called being held against her will. She said, I've already escaped her once, but they stabbed me because they found me. And I didn't get away, but I can get away now. And I said, if you can get away now, you need to get away while the getting's good. Get to a safe place that I can get to. So she got to a safe place. We were able to pick her up and transport her a couple hours out of town and got her to safety. Unfortunately, she recruited a minor out of where we had taken her. Mm-hmm. And if you recruit somebody out to your trafficker, then we cannot work with you in the future. We refuse to. So I got a phone call three days ago that she was being held against her will. I told him, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I, we cannot offer her services because of her past mm-hmm. decision. So about the only thing, the only woman that we won't work with are the ones who recruit other people out of a safe situation to give them over to their trafficker. Mm-hmm. But as far as the stories go, the things you see online, most of them are true. You would hope that people are making them up for attention doesn't seem like what these are uh, for the most part. Yeah. So I have two more questions. Sure. One of them, this question, this is more for you specifically in the type of work that you do. You've mentioned, like in this story that you just said, for example, like you're caring for these women and you're rescuing them, them out of a terrible situation, but they don't always stay out of the situation. So you have to deal with the repercussions of, okay, saving someone from a terrible situation and then maybe they go back into it or, and then they call you again, saving them again. Or you see the same women on the streets that you had just spoken with and they were like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a crazy transformative change. But us as humans, we're broken, we're flawed. We go back to the same things. What is that like for you personally? And how do you do that? Like, how do you continue to love and care for people despite going back and forth so much? It's a great question. It's, it's not easy. Ten years I've had my heart broken uh, several times. Um, 
rescued a girl, got her out, and then she's back out there, you know, two weeks later, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, seriously? And like you see her, you give her a backpack. We don't pay the women anymore for their time. About eight years ago, we started giving away bags of stuff that they would need over the course of um, of the weekend while they're being sold, and now we've actually went even further, and now we buy backpacks with things that they would need, food and toiletries. I buy tampons by the pallet. Literally, I buy a whole pallet of ta- 800 packages of tampons to give away in the backpacks. I, I knew my life was over. Uh, when I bought my first pallet of tampons, I was a bachelor, and so the only place I had to put all these tampons was in my closet in my bedroom. <laughs> so I offloaded all these tampons and filled up my whole closet. I had to take all my clothes out of there, and I'm sitting on my bed, and I'm about to go to sleep, and I look over the closet, and I did like a double take, and I was like, I'm just like, oh my gosh. And then I looked up uh, towards my ceiling to God, and I was like, this is not what I had planned when I said yes to you. I did not plan on buying a pallet of tampons. But when you get you get like 800 packages for 100 bucks, you, you buy a pallet of tampons. If I wasn't called to do this, I, I, I wouldn't be doing it 10 years in. You know, like I said, I've had my heart broken so many times. There's one gal who we just love, we'll, we'll call her C. And she's a beautiful human being. I've been working with her now nine and a half years, almost 10 years. She was one of the first guys I started talking to, so maybe 10 years now. Multiple personalities, bipolar, addicted to crack cocaine. And uh, caught her husband cheating on her with a prostitute, so she said, well, if that's what he wants, then I'll become a prostitute, uh, just to spite him. So I've been working with her, and probably about three years in, you know, I'd see her go back. Like, you know, every time I see her, I give her a bag, you know, talk to her about Jesus. And this is about three years in, and I was just so frustrated. And I said, God, what are we doing? I mean, I keep pouring everything I have into this woman and trying to help her, and yet she continues to go out there. God instantly checked me. He told me, you have no idea what's going on in her heart. All you see is what you see on the outside, but you have no idea how she prays to me and cries out to me and her relationship with me. I felt like he said, boy, you do what I've called you to do, and you let me worry about the results. I believe it's above my pay grade. I've been called to go out there and minister unconditional love to these women, love them right where they're at, and accept them for who they are. Honestly, I just, I just want to know, I just want to know my Jesus. I want to know, you know, the the one uh, who changes lives. So we never try to get anyone to quit prostituting, if that's what she's chosen to do. Some some women have survivor sex in prostitution, and this is what they're doing to get by. And far be it for me to judge someone and tell them how they should be living their life or what they should be doing. Jesus said in John 3.17, not 16, but 3.17, he said, For the Son of Man did not come into the world to judge the world, but, the, but that the world might be saved through him. If Jesus didn't judge someone, far be it from us to do that. We just want to love her and introduce her to who we know who changed our life. And, uh, and then let God deal with the results. There's been some amazing success stories. Some of the women we've rescued. One gal had a third grade education, 29 years old, she couldn't read. Mm-hmm. And we got her a tutor to work for three hours a week at our shelter. Two and a half years later, she graduated with a 3.86 GPA with her associate's degree in biblical studies. Had three women graduate college. We have a women's shelter I haven't talked about. It's called Restoration Ranch. Six bed, three and a half bath facility that we rescue women to, and we offer them the ability to earn a college degree while they're with us, and everything is free. So we've never taken any money from the government. We've never taken a federal grant or any money like that. We've only taken money from people who believe in what we're doing, and we've just asked people to give. Some people give like a dollar a day, so we're going to check for $30 a month. Some people give through PayPal, through our website, through Facebook. Uh, through donating there, and then also through snail mail. But we've operated for 10 years just on us putting in money and then people in the community giving money and churches giving money. So, And the reason I've done that is because I don't want someone to tell me how to say the name Jesus. Oftentimes with uh, state and federal grants, uh, they tell you what to do and when to do and how to do it. 
if I could find a grant writer who could write us a few grants that would give us the freedom that we that we that we desire, be very open to that. So if you're a grant writer <laughs> and you're listening to this podcast, we could use your help. <laughs> but yeah, so it's not up to me. The results are his and just go and do what I believe I was created to do and that's uh go help these women any way I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So if someone's listening and they've heard your story, they've heard the type of work you do, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this is so powerful and so amazing. How can I partner with you? Whether it be financially or coming with you to something or just in any way, what are the different capacities or ways that someone can help you in what you're doing with Magdalene Hope? Thank you. Yeah, they can give financially online, magdalenehope.org or through our Facebook page, or through Snail Mail. I think the P.O. Box is listed on the website if you want to send in a check. Or you can give in-kind gifts, so cars. Every, every lady we've graduated from our one-year program, giving them a car is a graduation gift. So we've been giving vehicles over the years, things like that. We had a coffee, sh- coffee shop where we could employ the women. And uh, we had a partnership with Dignity Health at Bakersfield Memorial Hospital. But not a lot of people wanted to have coffee there, so we lost money. But we were able to employ the women we'd rescued out of sex trafficking. And the coffee shop was called Rescue Grounds Coffee Company. So now we purchased an ambulance, and we have $10,000 in this ambulance. We need another 20000 to finish it, but it's going to be a mobile coffee shop with an ambulance called Rescue Grounds. And we have a couple of our girls that we rescued uh, that were managers for us, waiting for us to get this thing on the road because they're going to come back and, and work for us, a couple of women survivors. So the money uh, given would go towards the ambulance and then also the day-to-day operations of the shelter. As far as volunteering, uh, and volunteering is amazing. I'll say this, once you see what's going on out there, you can't unsee it. And that's what happened with me. I couldn't unsee what I saw. And that's what drives me back out there. But unfortunately, our next training, and they're every three to four months. So I'll probably have another one in October. Okay. September, we're having a big golf tournament at Stockdale Country Club. So you ladies, we're looking for some ladies for some teams. Mm-hmm. Come and tee it up. It's a tee-off for Hope. And that's on the 16th of September. But we also need volunteers out on the golf course. So if you want to volunteer with us, we need people on the golf course so saying hi, putting out signs and greeting people. and We'll have a refreshment card and we'll serve lunch. It'll be a really nice event. It'll be our second one we've done. So we'll probably do a training in October because in November we have a huge women's conference coming up. So it'll be November 1st and 2nd. We have a lady named Wendy Backlund. She's a pastor out of Bethel, her and her husband, and they have Igniting Hope Ministries. Wendy is our keynote speaker this year. The conference is a Friday night and Saturday. We'll have six women speaking on Saturday. We'll have a lunch break, swag bags. It's it's a blowout. So we've had, this will be our third annual one in Bakersfield. And then December, we're doing a toy drive called Toys for Tijuana. So we have a presence in Tijuana. I just got back from Mexico yesterday. Uh, We have a real heart for the people down there. And we're doing a toy drive with the Women's Conference on December 14th, I believe. It's a Saturday, so I believe it's December 14th. We do a toy drive with a Women's Conference, uh, translators, as we speak down there. So please come out November 1st and 2nd. Details will be online. They'll be up online pretty quick. (laughs) But yeah, so we should have a training sometime in October. We always put those out through Instagram and through Facebook, so you can friend our page if you haven't, follow us, and then you can get caught up when our next training will be January's National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So it's kind of like our Disneyland Mm -hmm. for the month. We've been to the Super Bowl in January, flying across the country to minister to women who are being sold there. We've done movie premieres, so we never know what we're doing for January. Hopefully we're launching a new mobile coffee ambulance out into the community in January. So that's what we're shooting for. So all of those different things that he just mentioned, I'll include in the show notes. So it's organized and there's links and people can just like 
boom, boom, so they don't have to get lost on the internet. Or click. Try to make it as easy as possible. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah, those all sound like really great ways that people can connect and be a part of what you're doing. Is there anything that I didn't get to or we didn't talk about that you think maybe I just wanted to talk about that or I wanted to touch on that? Is there anything that you have that you can think of? I mean, we can use prayer, kind thoughts, and well wishes. We're in Mexico. In Tijuana, it's the second deadliest city in the world besides one other city in Syria. But we're down there ministering in the red light district. They have about 800 to 1,200 different women and girls being sold in a two-block radius. Mm. We've just started partnering with other nonprofits in Mexico to try to eradicate human trafficking in Mexico. So we could use your prayers there. We just went down yesterday and came back. It's real bleak down there because of the poverty and because of the fear that's on the organizations. Been there for three and a half years. Tijuana was birthed out of a brothel. So Tijuana, or Aunt Jane, mm. opened up a brothel for the military to come across the border and have sex with women. And that's how Tijuana, or Tijuana started, mm. was out of a brothel. So I know that's why we're pulled down there to help these people for bleak situations and plus just the love on the children so you can pray for us for that that'd be great and then we've just launched Magdalene Hope Orange County so Tuesday we were in Orange County we trained uh, 13 people and then we went out in our pink van and we handed out backpacks to uh, girls being sold around Disneyland and Knott's Perry Farm mm. So the closer you get to the park, the younger the girls are and the more the men pay. Mm. So we've really felt called to be down in Orange County ministering down there. Real three key populations or areas of concern for us are Bakersfield with Kern County, Orange County around the amusement parks, and then Tijuana. So that's where our focus is. If you guys can pray for us and just lift us up and get involved. This is not just one person or me and my wife. I think, I think we have 13 people on our board of directors, and we've had hundreds, probably 500 volunteers over the years, and we would love to meet you and have you come out with us and, and help us end human trafficking. So I guess that's what I'd like to say. Thank you so much for having thank me Thank you. On. Thank you. Thank you. Ugh. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen. If you loved this episode, if you learned something new, if you thought it was encouraging or insightful, please leave a review on iTunes, the purple podcast app in your phone. It takes less than two minutes. Those reviews brighten my day because if I'm being honest, podcasting takes a lot of work to produce and create and especially to create good content. So those reviews really encourage me and motivate me to keep going and I really appreciate them. Also, if you resonated with Doug's message, with the work that he's doing with Magdalene Hope, I'd really encourage you to get involved in some capacity, whether you're praying or donating to the cause or offering up your time or just going to these events and supporting them. I think we all need to get more involved in our community and especially having him walk us through what's really going on on Union Avenue. I want to say big fat thank you so much to Doug for giving an entire hour of his time to sit with me in my living room and just talk about this because you don't really know what's going on unless you've been there and he's been there and he's walked with these women. So as always, my dear friends, keep on pursuing your greatness and I will talk to you next week.